Welcome to the Pactum. I'm Pat Abendroth with Mike Grimes. This is episode 73. We're going to be talking about preaching. We've got some tips for preachers, but they will apply to everyone who teaches the Bible, even though teaching and preaching are distinct. Uh, These are some common sense tips, some guidelines, some principles that you might find helpful. But before we go any further, Mike, what you drinking over there? Today I've got my Coke Zero. And you know what? I've got a little beef with Coca-Cola they change the look of the can, and it makes me want to drink it less. Have well, you ever noticed that? So the Coke Zero yeah. used to be a black You're right. can, yeah. and now they've moved it to red. I think it's because they want you to you know, notice how much it tastes like regular Coke. Oh, seriously? It's a pet peeve of mine. Okay. I got All that right. off my chest. Well, I feel better ready for yeah, we, we do. That's why one of the reasons why we have the Pactum <laughs> Sofa, as, as we like to talk about it. So if you're, if you're newer to the Pactum, we make things up a lot. So oh, sure. we don't really have a Pactum Sofa. We might someday. There that's is a possible. Pactum Snow Globe. Yes. It's uh, real. So, but just so you're aware, um, we like sarcasm. We like a little bit of snark <laughs> along the way. And uh, you're just going to have to get used to our culture. Yes, uh, that's and, right. Uh, Here on the Pactum. We're, we're going to try to help you with that. Yeah. Hey, there's a trip coming up to Israel. Indeed. Uh, some of our listeners may be interested in knowing about that. You and your brother are going to be leading a trip to Israel. Tell us more about yep. that. So brothers Abendroth, Mike and Pat Abendroth. He's nine years older, by the way. That's why he's so much smarter. There you go. Um, and it's why I'm so much faster on a bicycle. Take that, Mike Abendroth. <laughs> so no, what, his, his response would be, I got into it before you did. So you that would be true. Okay. We are going to Israel, Lord willing, February 21 through March 2nd, 2020. Three. I've lost count of how many of these we've done. We um, like to do them together so uh, we can have a great time and pretend like we're the sons of thunder or something like that. <laughs> uh, we like to take you to the good restaurants, not the bad ones. And when somebody says this is exactly where Jesus walked, we'll say, no, actually, that's about 10 feet underground. <laughs> so don't kiss that rock. Uh, so... <laughs> You know what? We have a wonderful we have a wonderful time. We have fun, but we also teach the Bible. We're clear about law and gospel. We're clear about redemptive historical. We have a great time together. So sometime in your life, if you can, go to the old Jerusalem. It won't be as good as the new Jerusalem. <laughs> but if you can go and uh, learn, we have a great time together. So if you'd like more information, you could info at Omaha Bible Church. The, yeah. the email, email. The email <laughs> is info at omahabiblechurch.org. Right. And we can get some information to you. Uh, and I, I imagine it'll it'll fill up pretty quickly. So exciting times going to the Middle East. Yes. Yep. Should be good. All right. So today we're going to be talking about preaching, as you mentioned. And you've got a list here. I have the list in front of me. Uh, and the list is a list of about a dozen, I think we've got here. The dirty dozen, the we dirty say. The dirty dozen. What, is that a... It's like a movie. It is a movie. I don't remember if I've seen it or not, but now I want to see it. Okay. 1967, I think. I was born in 69. Uh, criminals, like 12 criminals, they take and make them go attack the Nazis or something. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. I think it's World War II era. Okay. So. All right. All right. Let's, let's move on and start talking about preaching today. How many years have you been preaching and or teaching the Bible? Uh, I th- I'm... I've been at this church since 1998, but I think I started teaching the Bible probably 30 years ago in some kind of format. So uh, I, I ain't no expert, but I've done it a few times. You've been doing it a little while. <laughs> I've made so many mistakes that we can have an episode can learn offering those. some tips uh, at being better and more effective at communicating. So I think that's really what we're all about. Maybe yeah. on the lighter side, I just pulled up this kind of funny thing about alliteration, Ooh. which sometimes people are really into having everything start yeah. with a certain yep. letter. Yep. 
So this is a cla- from a classic article by Jay Adams. Apart from the cutesy qualities of carelessly crafted clauses, <laughs> curiously <laughs> cultivated by conceited curates, there seems to be no earthly reason for passionately pursuing ponderous pairs of preaching points, partially proclaiming previously plain propositions. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so one of our one of oh, our tips on our funny. on our twelve uh, is not alliteration, unless yeah. you want to sound like you're illiterate. No, I have you. Have you ever done the alliteration sure, thing? I, okay, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll do it if if need be, but it's not something I try to do. I tried to do it uh, a couple times ago. I've only <laughs> preached a handful of sermons, okay, and a couple a couple times ago, I can't remember which passage it was. I was thinking through some of the main points, and I was like, oh, oh, oh. I got a little bit overly excited, unnecessarily so. And then after a while, I couldn't come up with like I have maybe four <laughs> points, and I couldn't make the fourth one work. So I thought. Mike, don't be stupid. Just right? don't Good. do that. Pat Good. would probably tell you this is a bad idea. Just say the word you want to say instead of a cutesy word. So, yeah, hey, you know. Well played. <laughs> yeah. So really, we're doing this episode for Mike Grimes. Yes. Because he's going to be preaching a couple of times here soon. And so I want to make sure he uh, follows the, <laughs> the dirty dozen. So this is all about Mike. Mike's on the couch. He's on the um, Pactum yep. sofa. Yep. And so I'm the Pactum sofa. Here I am. And I'm going to ask Pat some questions to help me know what in the world I'm actually doing since he's the seasoned veteran here in the packed oh. preaching podcast posh student i can't alliterate the last word okay okay but i am ready to pontificate there you go <laughs> okay so let's start with starting a sermon okay uh, talk to me about uh an introduction is it a good idea do you need to just go right at it do you have an introduction how do you do that what tell us about introduction number one on my list have an introduction well, there you so, go. So th- there you go. So yeah, let's let's start by think, think in terms of the first thing that comes out of your mouth. So if you're going to preach a sermon or even teach a class, what, what are you going to say first? And too many times what we do is we say the same thing every single week. We get up there and we say something like, well, today we're going to be back in the book of Acts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah, that that wasn't very exciting. <laughs> or it's going to be even, even turn, turning your Bibles. I mean, I like the sound of that. But maybe we could be a li- we could just give it a little bit more of an effort. Sure, something. Think it over a little bit, huh? Uh, that, that's what I think. And yeah. I realize maybe you might be such a purist, uh, some of you out there, and you think, well, you know what? I don't really need an introduction because it's God's word. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Um, have your introduction be a quotation from God's sure. word. Yeah, yeah. Uh, those are some of my favorite introductions to say, listen to these three words, and then mm-hmm. to say, come unto me. Or something like that, or say, you know, say, quote Jesus and say, come to me. Those are the three most important words you probably will ever hear in your life. Hmm. And then you get your way to the text, something provocative, something that's going to be interesting, engaging. Uh, it's kind of common sense. So take a public speaking class and they're going to say the first things you say are really important. Yeah. But so many preachers, it's like, really? Are you every single week? Is it, well, today we're well, back in <laughs> Nehemiah. <laughs> I'll never forget the first class I ever taught. That's exactly what I said. Well, uh, those are the first two things that came out of my mouth. And I'll never forget it because afterward I listened to it and I was just so embarrassed. Right. I hadn't thought it through. I don't claim to have greater introductions, just like I don't claim to be a great preacher, but it would be good to put some thought into what am I going to say first? I only have so much time to get their attention. Granted, some people come because they're members, they love you, they love God's word, they'll put up with 
lame introductions. <laughs> sure. And so it can create some laziness, but I am, I'm, I want to be interesting. The Bible is interesting. I'm thinking of the person who maybe is the unbelieving spouse or the neighbor or something mm-hmm. like that. Maybe if I say something provocative, they're going to be more apt to listen longer. Sure. sure. Yeah. So don't, we're not denying the power of the spirit. We're not trying to doctor up the Bible or do sales tactics or anything like that, but it's pretty commonsensical when you speak in public, pay attention to the first things you say. So please right. have an introduction. Uh, now, Mike, watch next Sunday. I won't have one. You won't. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. We, we, we do break some of the rules now and then, but sure, as a sure. rule, let's have a good introduction. And then you can say, open your Bibles and they're already probably knowing where you're going anyway. So right. yeah, I hope that helps. Okay, so moving along in this dirty dozen, I have your list in front of me, in fact, so a little bit of cheating going on here, but the next couple, uh, two, three, per se, uh, deal with the text itself, uh, the text of Scripture that you're going to be preaching on and dealing with that morning in the sermon, maybe in your lesson, whatever it is you're preaching and teaching through. Uh, Talk about the text, uh, the attention given to the text, and a couple maybe pointers or things we ought to do when we're preaching and teaching through a text. So next on the list is give attention to the text. And by that, I would, by, by saying give attention to the text, uh, the most important thing we're ever going to say would be God's words. Yeah. And so sometimes we don't give enough attention to the actual words of the text itself. Hmm. So most important is not what I'm going to say about the text. Sure, yeah. Even though though that's critical, that's preaching. So we're not just exhorted. We're not just called as pastors, as preachers to read the Bible. Right. uh, But it assumes that we're good at reading the Bible. Yeah. So give attention to the text of Scripture, and I would like to say more so than your own words. And the first way of doing this in a practical way is when you're reading the text of Scripture, pause, stop. Young, young gun preachers, Bible teachers, they read the text and without even a breath or a moment or a thought or mm. a gasp, the next words out of their mouth come so quickly, so many times, uh, and they're just off to the most important thing, which is what they have to say. Sure. So they're kind of rushing through the don't, text of scripture to get to what they want to say. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't do that. So uh, it's a good, good idea. Put it in your notes or something like that with a highlighter, that final period mm. from the scriptural text you're reading. Uh, would be a good time to take a breath and let it settle in, let it sink in. Because again, all of us as Christian preachers, uh, we obviously want to get better at it, but all of us as Christian preachers, we we believe God's word is the inspired text. It's not, our, our, our words aren't inspired. And so we want to give, give, be deliberate about the actual text, which also brings us to number three on my list of these aren't pet peeves. These are just tips. These are guide guidelines, practical, practical pointers, practical pointer, <laughs> pactum pointers. <laughs> so, and that would be when, when it comes to reading the text, read interpretively. Hmm. So I have not gotten very many compliments in my life about preaching. Um, but one time a college student said to me, why is it that when I hear you read the Bible, it makes so much more sense than when I read the Bible at home? Mm, yeah, yeah. And I thought, I, I love that because sure. it, it encouraged me because I try to read interpretively. Mm, yeah. Uh, so I realize lots of times people want to get other people involved when they're teaching a Sunday school class like that or something, and they call on other people to read, and I'm not dissing you. Um, sure. But... 
if I'm teaching the Bible, um, I'm going to read the text because I studied the text. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm I'm going to read interpretively, hopefully better than anyone else because I've been working on it all week long. Right. Yeah. So give attention to reading interpretively, and uh, it really does go a long way. And I think it is very effective uh, when it comes to teaching the Bible, preaching the Bible. Uh, it's an important thing you can get better at and you can work on. That's why I draw lines around things and embolden things and underline things hmm. because it's going to help me in my interpretive reading of the text of scripture. Hmm. Yeah. So let's get good at reading the Bible, especially for preachers, because it's going to help our preaching to be more effective, more interesting because we're reading interpretively. Years ago, I read through the book of Hebrews um, kind of as a stunt but you know, mm. scholars think Hebrews was a sermon. sermon, yeah. And so, kind of as a stunt, kind of not. I I just read Hebrews as my sermon. Sure, yeah. And uh, I, I worked super hard that week, reading it out loud and reading it interpretively, in part because it really needed to carry the day. Sure, yeah. But it was a, it was a good exercise, yeah, um, to go to go through. Hmm. All right. So I see fourth on your tip list here is don't say, "Let me read to you." What does that mean? What's that all about? It's so amazing to me when people, you know, they want people to bring their Bibles and be engaged and be about the Bible. And then the preacher says, let me read to you. <laughs> and I think, I mean, maybe, maybe it's fine. It's just a pet peeve of mine, but don't say, let me read to you as in, don't look at your Bible, turn your brain off. Oh, sure, yeah. It's now time for me to read to you. Yeah. Instead say, if you look with me at verse five, mm -hmm. you will see and maybe, um, I don't want to beat a dead horse or anything like that, but how about getting them to look at their Bible? It's not the only goal in preaching. There are lots of goals in preaching. Uh, this isn't a, you know, a top of the list, but one of my goals in teaching the Bible, preaching the Bible, is to get people to, when they go home and if they reread the text in their Bible, mm. they can understand it better. It, sure. it sticks yeah. with them. So that's yeah. one of the good goals in, involved. And so why would I want to say, let me read to you so you can just zone out or look at me? Or stare at the sky. Sure, yeah. Outdoor service. Yes, outdoor service. <laughs> I've heard you say several things uh, in your sermons that are drawing people's attention to the text, to their Bible, wanting them to look in their Bible. Uh, I've noticed you'll say, read along with me, if you will, or follow along with me. Not read along, maybe because they'll say it out loud, but follow along with me if you will, Absolutely. or even in the middle, I, I like when you do, uh, you're reading through a portion and then you get to the next verse and I'm guessing it's for no other reason than to continue to help them follow along, but you'll say now verse 13 and then you just keep reading it. I don't know. Is that, it's not a nervous tick. It's, it's, it's actually it's on purpose. intentional, right? It's intentional for them Try. to have their attention in the Bible with you. Yes. And if they can understand the Bible, they carry better or have it be a source or a resource for them. Um, I think all the better in the long run. Yeah. I think it's super helpful the way you do it. You it, can tell that you want people looking and following along. Sometimes I think are people is this obnoxious? No. I think it's I think it's great. <laughs> I really do. So kudos okay. from me to you. We're, we're, we're going to keep it up. Draw attention to the text. When I was in seminary, we had like a 99 point grading sheet that we got graded on when we preached our sermons and that was actually one of the points. Maybe there were 100 points, I don't know, mm. but anyway, one was draws it gives it draws attention to the text or sure. something like that. Yep. I think that was helpful. I'm glad that they had us do that. That's good. Okay, so moving along in these tips here for those who are preaching teaching the Bible, this dirty dozen. Mm -hmm. What do you think about boring <laughs> preachers and sermons? I I I I attend a recovery group on Thursday nights. <laughs> 
It is so easy to be boring. Okay, we this is number five, and it is be interesting. So I'm trying to keep each of these short. Be interesting. That's kind of a, a no-brainer. The Bible is not boring, but Pat Abendroth uh, could get a PhD in being boring <laughs> if he weren't very careful. <laughs> it is so easy to be boring as a public speaker. The Bible is not boring. I don't think you need to make the Bible interesting, but you do need to be interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I think the first thing you need to do as far as on on the on your journey <laughs> to being interesting is you need to be interested. So mm-hmm. I'm always when I'm studying I'm looking for things that are interesting and sometimes things that seem interesting at first aren't very interesting eventually. Sure. But what kind of things do I get excited about that I learn about that I learn something unique about Christ that I hadn't thought about before or I see something that I know is true about Christ but I see it in a text where I hadn't seen it before or something like that, a text I'm teaching that has some really important key Christian doctrines. I'm going to find interesting things in the text because the text is interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I'm going to be interested in it. Right. And I'm going to sound like I'm interested in it, which doesn't always come easy. So um, don't be boring. Be interesting. Uh, The Bible's not boring. I'm just repeating myself. I know, but if you're super interested in something and you'll show some passion and involved, people are more likely to be interested in, in it also. Yeah. So let's not excel at being boring because you know, the Bible is so sufficient that I can sound like this when I'm teaching it. (laughs) That would be terrible. It would indeed be terrible. And there is some mythology out there about Jonathan Edwards uh, that I used to believe until I read a couple of biographies of Edwards. You know, people say Edwards was so committed to the sufficiency of scripture that he just read with no intonation and no passion. And, you know, people fell down and they were so convicted. And uh, that that would be not even historically true. Hmm, that's interesting. So, I yeah. That. So hmm. if you read Ian Murray's biography of Edwards, you won't walk away believing that anymore. And so I realized that that might um, be contrary to what you heard. Um, but Edwards even scolded people sometimes for not being interesting, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Sure. So uh, he didn't want you to be emotionally manipulative. That's true as well. But come on, folks. Yeah. Come on. Be interesting. Have something to say. <laughs> Have something to say. Be interesting. <laughs> uh, we're trying to be interesting on the pactum. But we try. That's right. So maybe this helps. Listen to some preachers that you think are really good preachers, and they're not up there preaching in monotone, showing no enthusiasm, no excitement, because isn't Jesus great? Yeah. It's not the case. So listen to others, uh, and then maybe listen to yourself, and you say, man, I sound like I'm attending a yawn festival or something here. <laughs> no wonder the people are sleeping. Boring. Uh, big time. So be, should we say it one more time? Be interesting. Be, be interesting. Yeah. The Bible's interesting. Come on. Uh, yes. Yeah. And and I don't want to give too much away here, and I don't want to sound like I'm a compromiser, but I, I have a real hard time. If I haven't found interesting things in the text, I for sure am not ready to preach. Mm. I mean, it, uh, oftentimes I'm, I'm finding, as I'm stressed out trying to prep for the next Sunday, I'm starting to find the things that I'm excited about. Yeah. And and I'm calming down with each exciting thing I discover. <laughs> uh, I'm like, okay, I can preach this, yep. you know, and, and it's not because, oh yeah, it'll preach now. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not that sort of thing. No, yeah. But if you give yourself prayerfully and give enough attention to studying and what, what you're going to find is you're going it, to, it's exciting. Yeah. But at first, maybe first blush, first read, because I'm still, um, struggling with sin. Yep. Yep. <laughs> First read, it might be, Oh, I, I, I don't know how in the world I'm going to preach this. Yeah. 
it's the enthusiasm, the joy of discovery. It turns into more dynamic, more interesting, more enthusiastic kind of preaching. So I hope that helps, Mike. I hope you're interesting when you're preaching Jude here coming up. I hope so. I really do. And, you know, I'll never forget when you were trying to help me when I was first starting preaching, telling me, study and study and pray until you find that thing that you can latch on to that excites you about the text that you're interested in and gets you going about it. And then it's all going to come together. It's going to work out. It's going to be great because you're excited. That'll translate and that'll come across to the people how excited you are about the text. Absolutely. So I think yep. it's super helpful yeah. to hear that. If you listen to R.C. Sproul preach, you don't get the impression that somehow he's bored by the text. Uh, no. You don't get that at all. And you think, why is he such a good communicator? In part, it's because he makes things clear, but also in part because he's into it. Yep. And I thought so, the same thing. No joke. I'm not just making this up. I thought this this Sunday. As I was listening listening to you preach Acts 9, I thought, man, he's excited about this. That's good, right? It, I mean... It is. Yeah, that's what we want to be excited about it so we can be interesting. All right. On this interesting podcast here, we're moving along. <laughs> on the pactum <laughs> with a plurality of positive propositional... Pontifications on preaching. We already used those. Oh, we did. Okay. No, uh, we're good. So tell me about languages. Now... I don't know Greek. I don't know Hebrew. So but you, I, but you have great resources. I have that great you can resources, use. Um, and so I, I try to fit as many Greek and Hebrew words into my <laughs> sermons as possible. Is that a good idea? There you go. Mike just gets up there. <laughs> well, in Greek, here's what it means, and according to the Aramaic. <laughs> It's the best when people say it in Greek and then they don't know how to pronounce the word right. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. So on my number six on your tip list uh, would be cool the Greek, uh, as in cool your jets, as in, you know what, you might just want to. Talk, you might just want to realize that our English translations are really good. Yeah, they are. And so and I can't remember what reformer it was, if it was Martin Luther or who it was, but uh, he was very critical of preaching and using original kinds of language uh, statements in ordinary sermons or typical sermons uh, because it it went back to kind of the priest class kind of thing. So Mm. I know Greek and you don't as it was before. We know Latin and you all dummies only know only know German. And so it creates this, it creates this distinction, this kind of Gnostic kind of I'm higher, closer to God mediator thing. And I, I don't think uh, Protestant preachers try to do that, but it can give give off that kind of aura or that impression. And in reality, you know, Greek is important, Hebrew is important, Aramaic is important, and uh, just just cool it a little bit. Yeah. And sometimes maybe it's helpful. Uh, some translations, you know, don't don't translate a word; they they leave it out or something like that. Uh, so I try to use Greek and Hebrew and uh, use it sparingly when necessary. But typically when people are using original languages all of the time and they're not in an academy or not in the, you know, PhD program or something like that, I'm not really buying it. I'm thinking, you know what, you could explain it better without that. And uh, what are you trying to hide? Yeah, sure. Since we're on the topic of original languages, sometimes uh, another bad habit can be that when we really only look at the trees and we never look at the forest, Hmm. before you know it, the Bible can kind of, now we're, this is just more about hermeneutics than preaching. So sorry, I I, I apologize, but let me get it off my chest. (laughs) So the Bible becomes a little bit more of a wax nose and we can kind of shape it and mold it into whatever we want it to be. Hmm. And so again, nothing... Original languages are, are important. I spent a lot of money to say that I studied them. 
<laughs> so they are important. They are significant. But at the same time, make sure you're going back and looking at the big picture, lest you're making those Greek and Hebrew words maybe mean something that is not intended by the book you're studying. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll try to avoid the, the the hermeneutics kind of thing for a while. Okay, and let's keep rolling. I think we're on number seven. We're huh? on number seven. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Number seven is be expositional, not exegetical. So this tip is really getting at the fact that you want to be expositing the text. You're not up there interpreting the text. You're up there explaining the text. And I actually think there is a difference. And so sometimes when people say, oh, I love exegetical preaching. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> right? I, exegetical preaching would be, okay, we're going to look up the grammar and the syntax of right. all of these words. And uh, the exegesis is what you do in your study when you're exegeting, you're interpreting. And exposition is what you do from the pulpit uh, because you're explaining the text. And now all of a sudden it's in sermonic form, if you right. will. Right. So uh, good exposition is based upon on good exegesis, if you will. Yeah. But I just kind of chuckle when people say, oh, yeah, we're looking for a church with exegetical preaching. I'm like, this is not it. <laughs> no, and we're no. not back to the yawn fest idea. Yeah. Um, that's not what we're going to do. Good preaching typically leaves some things on the cutting room floor in the office. Sure. You've done your exegesis and you say, all right, what do I need to, to bring with me to have it be interesting, to have it be getting the point across to people? Yes, it is interpretive, but you're um, giving, giving them the high points. So if you're, if you're new to thinking through the categories, so hermeneutics would be the rules by which you play the game. Mm. So when it comes to interpreting the Bible, uh, and then we do our exegesis based upon our hermeneutics, if you will. And then exposition is what comes to the pulpit because of the work that we've done. So yes, be expositional for sure. Don't try to do grammar and word studies all day long in the pulpit because you found those interesting. Right. Okay. So there are, there are, is that unique breed of person. Yeah. Yep. And they that's what they get excited about. <laughs> right. They probably don't belong in the pulpit or maybe they need another outlet. They need to teach also at a Bible college. Sure. Or a seminary. Right. In the classroom. Yeah. That's right. So um, be expositional. You're explaining the text of scripture uh, in a way that people can understand. You're making yourself clear. Uh, you're not just doing grammar, lexical studies kind of Sure, thing. yeah. The next one on your list here is kind of interesting, certainly in light They're of what you They're all interesting, Well, Mike. yes, but I think in light of what you were just talking about, okay. uh, this says make it topical. So expository preaching, people think of verse by verse, working through a book of the Bible, and yep. now here where you're saying make it topical. So I, in every preaching class I ever do, I always try to remind the people in the class, every sermon should be a topical sermon. Hmm. And they're like, what? Yeah. That, that, that's not what you do. <laughs> but in reality, it is because you're, if you're preaching one verse or a whole book of the Bible, regardless, you're doing one paragraph, ultimately there's, there's one overarching big idea, hmm. no matter what. And this is how we communicate. This is how it is when it comes to writing books. This sure. is how it is when it comes to a podcast. Uh, there's, there's one major overarching concept or idea uh, and I don't think, if you haven't figured out what it is, you're probably not going to preach a very good sermon. Sure, yeah. So now, within the big idea, there might be multiple, there might be five other themes that complement, but they, they will complement it, otherwise mm. you haven't figured it out. Sure, yeah, that makes sense. So every single sermon is a topical sermon, so I'm going to say, okay, what's the big idea? And I might not know until I've studied it for hours and hours and hours, and then I can say, oh, when this chapter in this book of the Bible overall can be captured by this one big idea. Hmm. So that way, if I know it's, I know what it is, my introduction can relate to it. 
And so my introduction just doesn't have to relate to point four uh, of four points or whatever sure, it is. Yeah. The introduction can relate to the whole thing. The conclusion can uh, as well. It, I call it cracking the code. I've got to figure out what the what the what is the whole story here about? What is Paul addressing? Jesus addressing? Luke addressing? Hmm. Moses or wh- whoever is whoever's involved? What's the big picture all about? In that sense, every sermon, even if you do lectio continua, uh, if you go through and go through whole books of the Bible, every single one, yes, exposition is going to be a topic. This text is about hope. This text is about persecution. This text is about the sovereignty of God. This text is about you fill in the blank. Sure. Yeah. And I think if we could get better at that, our, our preaching probably would be better. Yeah. Uh, instead of we're just go, we're, we're just going verse by verse here and that's what we do. Yeah, we're working through. This word means this, yeah. that word means who knows what. And you wonder why Nobody comes except the people with your same last name because we're faithful. Yeah. No, maybe because you haven't figured out what the big picture is about. Yeah. We could talk about, okay, what's Philippians about? There, there is a, an overarching theme, even though there are sub themes. Hmm. And if you're preaching, you know, five verses, well, what, what are those five verses about? There's, sure. there has to be, otherwise maybe you need to include, include some more verses yeah. or, or less verses because, it's ultimately, Paul wasn't just like, hey, I'm going to write to the Philippians a bunch of Greek words. <laughs> because I, it was, he, he, had a, he had an agenda. Maybe he had numerous agendas. We've, we've got to figure out what those are. Yeah. Every sermon should be a topical sermon in that sense. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so we don't want to have a long podcast, just like number nine. We don't want to have long lengthy sermons. But I'm so good at preaching, so I'm going <laughs> to preach for an hour, and it's so important. And Right. That, that is number nine on our list. Don't be long. Uh, your, your sermons probably should be shorter than you think they should be. Yeah. And uh, if your wife says especially they should be shorter, listen to her. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe she you know, would never tell you that, so don't listen to her. <laughs> so more than likely, you need to preach shorter sermons, and I know that's true for me. It's probably true for most people, and maybe your favorite preacher preaches for an hour, and maybe you're probably not as good as him. Hmm. So let, let, let's tone it down there, big dog. <laughs> and uh, I think some of it's humility. More, yeah. more than likely, you cannot be that interesting and that good of a preacher for that long. And it's so, tough. It's tough. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. You got to leave some things on the cutting room floor. I want them to come back. I want them to leave wanting more. So now I'm saying all these things, and I did preach a sermon not too too long ago. How long was it, Mike? Uh, I think it was an hour and seven minutes. Yeah, I think it might have been 67 minutes. (laughs) I think that was a record. (laughs) And I'll just say this. I'll say I have been at the church since 1998. And uh, I don't normally do that. I, I would do it again because of the topic. Yeah. It was on the Trinity. and But you know what? It was like, okay, I probably won't do that again next week. No, yeah. So more than likely, shorten it up and uh, get, some, get somebody who will help you. Not somebody who's a, an opponent, but someone who will give you some good constructive criticism. And more than likely, you can go shorter than you think. Not mm-hmm. to compromise, but let's do remember people have a short atten- attention span. I... I 
I mean, I, I preach regularly for 40, 45 minutes, maybe longer sometimes, but I do know that people have developed a longer attention span mm-hmm. and uh, I don't mind being countercultural. So it's not a, a five minute sermonette for Christianettes kind of thing. Right. So we're not doing that and we're not dumbing it down. But if you're, if you're going to preach a sermon for 30 minutes, I mean, you are already doing and people are engaged in listening. You are doing something by the grace of God that is amazing. Yeah. We're coming down to the last few here on the list, and this next one I think is super interesting on this. all It's all interesting, like you said earlier, but this one is number 10, be distinctly Christian. What I mean by being distinctly Christian is to remember that the Bible is a book that is written by one author, a divine author, and that one divine author has a purpose for this world, and the purpose centers around his son, mm-hmm. whose name is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so in the old, we're anticipating the coming of Christ. When he comes, we're enjoying him being here. And when he leaves, we're looking forward to his return. Uh, it is a, the Bible is a Christian book. Yeah. Weirdly, that's controversial in some circles. Sure, yeah. Uh, but it is a messianic book. It is a Christ-centered book. And uh, the majority of Christians ever since there have been Christians have believed this. Mm-hmm. And so be distinctly Christian when you're preaching. Remember, remembering 2 Timothy 3.16, there is one divine author. Granted, there are human authors and God used human beings, 2 Peter chapter 1, to, to accomplish this. But there, there's one ultimate divine author and he cares a lot about his son mm-hmm. and says, listen to him. Yeah. So... Yes, Paul's grammar is different than Peter's grammar, different than John's grammar, and so on and so forth. But I want to be distinctly Christian, as in it is a book about Christ. And so when I'm learning and reading about Moses, I'm going to talk about Moses, and I'm going to talk about Moses' surroundings, and I'm going to talk about all the ins and outs I can that have to do with his culture and time. But I also know that Moses spoke of a greater one who would come who is like him, Hmm. a greater Moses. We have it on good, inspired authority uh, from the book of Acts that that's the case, Hmm. and and from Jesus himself. So don't sound like you're part of a different religion because maybe you're preaching the Old Testament. Yep. As someone once said, if some if a, if a Jewish rabbi could hear what you're saying and say it was all good and fine, who rejects Jesus, then it wasn't a Christian sermon, yeah. and you didn't do a good job with it. So remember, we are Christians, and let's not do this. Maybe maybe this helps. Let's not pretend like we're unbelievers when we when we read the Old Testament. Mm, yeah. So Paul talks about unbelievers having a veil, a spiritual veil over their their hearts, their right, eyes. Right, right. And so sometimes uh, people try to convince us that that's how we should interpret the Bible. That's, that's not a yeah, good look. Yeah, no. So if I'm in the book of Esther, uh, it doesn't mean I need to find Jesus in every thread or right. every whatever is there. But yeah. I do know that that story, that the Esther account serves a greater purpose in the unfolding drama of redemptive history. I have to answer the question legitimately, how does this, how does this relate to Christ. Yeah. Because it is going to in one way or another. Yeah. Graham Goldsworthy has a great book called Preaching the Whole Bible as Christian Scripture. And that book changed my life when it comes to understanding these things. And I think it is uh, helpful. I don't think you need to read it to understand our point. But if you're looking to dig deeper, that could be helpful in your life. Yeah. Yep. And we'll link to that in the show notes. Yep. Sounds good. For you. All right. You can get that. Um, All right. Number 11 on this list. What about application? I say, be slow to apply. Be slow to apply. Be slow to apply. All right. Now, in in another sense, it's all applicable. It's all important, right? Sure. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But be slow to apply in the way our culture kind of 
you think, at least in your own mind, when you're playing head games with yourself, <laughs> you think everybody wants you to apply the Bible. Typically, when I apply the Bible directly, it offends people. <laughs> but <laughs> now I'm on the pactum sofa. <laughs> yeah. Tell us how you feel. Right. So, so much of the Bible is about Christ. And so that's very applicable. Yeah. And it has to do with his people. That's very applicable. The fact that I can be justified yeah. uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone, that's super applicable. Yeah. And actually, the Apostle Paul uses that very doctrine in Romans chapter 5 to help you cope with temporary suffering. Hmm. So it's very applicable. But typically, what we think when we think, oh, I have to apply the Bible, I have to apply the Bible here, it's I have to help people do a better job when they're digging ditches and I have to help do yeah. People who are welders and people who are nurses and people who are moms and people who homeschool and and how does this directly apply to them? And I think we sound like theological liberals of yesteryear when we do that. Mm. So going back to Jay Gresham Machen, his big thing was Christians preach Christ. So they preach the historic Christ, the work of Christ, redemption in Christ. And that's the greatest way to apply the Bible because that's its intent. Sure, yeah. Oh, it's true. The Bible talks about husbands and wives. And there, there are those texts. Right, yeah. But by and large, what you're trying to do is impress people or, or have people be impressed with who Jesus is and what he's accomplished and forgiveness of sins and all of these great things. And the Bible's not designed to help you figure out how to be a better mechanic other than at a 30,000 foot view. Yeah, right. So let's let's allow that to happen in natural law spheres. Uh, those other things in life are important, but you might learn them from a life coach or at the local community college mm. or something like that. Right. Whereas, you know, the, the greatest thing I'm teaching you today is who God is. And I want you to think differently about who God is so that you worship him and live for him if you're a mechanic or a nurse or right. whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to be really slow to try to make everything in the Bible a how-to kind of manual. That just sounds like Harry Emerson Fosdick, the theological liberal, the arch rival of Jay Gresham Machen. Yep. So I hope that helps. Um, this next week, more than likely, what's the application going to be? Uh, isn't God great? Yeah. <laughs> uh, aren't I a sinner? Don't I need Christ? I'm so motivated now out of gratitude unto him to go and be a better dad or a grandparent or employee, employer. That That's typically the takeaway. Right. Uh, how does this apply to my life? Well, it goes back to the gospel typically. And that's, yeah. that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing. But I, I don't know about you, Mike, but I feel the pressure. I feel the tremendous pressure, maybe a little less now because of my convictions about these things. Sure, yeah. But the pressure is really there. It's life application Bible. Mm -hmm. Yep. One wonderful thing about, the th about this very matter is once people, by the grace of God, get it, they won't settle for anything else. Yeah. So would you stop trying to make the Bible say things yeah. <laughs> about my practical life that it was never designed to do? I can get that from somewhere else. Sure, yep. And so it's one of those things, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah which is grand and glorious and wonderful, but it does make us burden for those people who, who, who don't quite catch on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, we've made it to the end of the list here on these preaching tips that uh, we've put together here on the Pactum. The last one is match the tone. Match the tone match as the in tone. We're, we're, we're so happy you're listening to the Pactum. <laughs> Gosh, if we sound like that, I'd turn it off myself. So. Right? <laughs> Scolding people because, you know, we're we're talking about God's love here today. <laughs> oh, I remember hearing a preacher talk about the message of Christmas is a message of wrath. <laughs> what? 
Oh, Are yeah. you serious? Oh, yeah. And we're like, okay, that's kind of interesting. That's I mean, a new take. I can see how you can get there, sure. obviously, because he came to save his people from their sins, sins. and incarnation. And But, um, you know, if the text says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, you probably shouldn't have a big grin on your face. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So right. I've, I've, I've seen that one done before and it was just like, man, this preacher was as happy as could be. Cleanse your hands, you <laughs> sinners. Purify your I hearts. Wish you could see you double minded. <laughs> I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? Oh. So, you know, it goes both ways. The door swings both ways. If it's a in your face, like the book of James that I was just quoting, and he's, he's really going after and scolding Christians, then I think your, your tone and tenor and Facial expression probably should try to resemble that. Sure, yeah. It's interpretive. Yeah. <laughs> and on the other side of things, if you're talking about the great mercy and grace and compassion of God, why are you making everybody feel terrible? Right, yeah. Why are you scolding them? Why are you making them feel uncomfortable and like they're yeah. being yelled at? It doesn't make any sense. So I, not too long ago, I was talking to some folks. They were they were visiting. They didn't quite make the jump to light speed. Uh, at Omaha Bible Church, <laughs> but they were used to scolder preachers. Oh, okay. And so I was, I mean, it was some wonderful, hopeful forgiveness of sins, <laughs> reconciliation, adoption into God's family. And they, they left and, and they were trying to be friendly and then, you know, fit in. And they said, Oh, pastor, that was so convicting. <laughs> 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 and I thought well, you you were checking your email on that smartphone, weren't you? Yeah. You, you you had you have no idea what I was even saying. Yeah. But there is this kind of badge of honor, you know, when you have a scolder preacher. Uh, somehow it's always about feeling bad. So yeah. I want you to feel really bad when the text is designed to make you feel feel really bad. Right. Yeah. But when it's designed to bolster when it's designed to help you to realize that we have great hope in Christ and great forgiveness in Christ and those kinds of things, I, I want you to be encouraged. And right, so I yeah. want my tone, my tenor uh, to match that very, that very thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just sitting here thinking the law. Yes, it does bring conviction, guilt, but the gospel freedom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so when you're hearing the gospel feeling terrible, um, that's probably Something's not a good not sign. Right. And when you're hearing the law feeling wonderful, yep. that. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. you. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Well, I, I hope this is helpful to to you who listen. Uh, helps you to know how to pray for Bible teachers and pastors if you're not one. Uh, but a lot of these things, and a lot of these things are common sense. Hmm. And so there are other important books to read about preaching. Um, and we're not trying to accomplish the mechanics. We're not trying to do the ins and outs of it or sure. why it's important. Right. We're not talking about any of those things. Read a book like Dennis Johnson's book, Him We Proclaim. Yeah. That'd be a great place if you need to really un understand Christ-centered preaching or biblical preaching and things like that. But we're, we weren't really aiming for that. We're going for a little bit more practical, a little bit more... Uh, emphasize really talking about the delivery side of things. Sure. Yeah. So a lot of it's common sense, a lot of it, therefore you could learn if you just learned about public speaking mm -hmm. and we don't think uh, that a good public speaker is qualified to be a preacher. Don't, don't hold that against us, mm -hmm. but we think preachers because they, by definition, they think preaching, preaching is important. Yeah. If you are a preacher, you, you want to be good at the craft. You want to be getting better at it because it's obviously important. Yep. And so you want to be, not you want to at least be good at public speaking. It's more than that, absolutely. Right. But it's not less than that. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I think we fall into that trap. Yeah. So those of you who are mature, seasoned preachers who didn't learn anything on this episode, <laughs> um, 
may the Lord bless you. And so we're thankful for people like you, but we also do want to be helping the next generation or those who need a little help and guidance. Yes. Yeah. Maybe this can serve you in that sort of way. Yep. Well, we're thankful for all of our listeners here on the Pactum. Thank you for joining us here. You can find us online, on Twitter, on Instagram. You can be emailing us, connect at thepactum.org. We'll see you here next time on the Pactum. Thank you.